Well, we're in a series on Matthew's Gospel, which I'm really enjoying, and we get, we've got to the section of the book around chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, where Jesus is defining what kind of king he is. Do you remember in the early part of the chapter we, of the book, we see that Jesus announces himself as the king, the king of all creation. But as you know, and I feel as well, the word king comes with a lot of baggage, right? It is a word that means different things to different people. And for often for us today, the word king means someone who is tyrannical or using people for their own wealth and gain or authoritarian or, you know, putting their people into misery. And that can often be the word king that means that we don't really want a king if it's going to be quite like that. And in the first century, the king had a different meaning. The first century Jews had expectations of what a king would be like. And there were other kings around the um, known world at the time. And so Jesus takes time in these chapters to fully define what type of king he is. And he does that to begin with by contrasting versus other kings to say, look, I'm just so you know, I'm not like that type of king. And we open in chapter 14 and we won't read it, but this really disturbing story of a king named King Herod who beheads Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, because he gets drunk at a dinner party, wants to impress a woman, and then doesn't feel he can go back on it when he gets all sober. And so he kills John the Baptist in a drunken rage. And Jesus wants us to know, I'm not like that. I'm not that kind of king who leads and rules out of greed and hunger for power and lust and using people for his own gain. We also see Jesus also contrasts himself versus the religious kings or rulers of the day, the Pharisees. He says, look, I'm not like them either because they lead in a hypocritical type of way. They say one thing but behave a different way. So that's not me either. And in this passage, in these few chapters, Jesus defines his kingship in two significant ways. He says, firstly, I am a shepherd king. And secondly, I'm a servant king. If you want to know what kind of king I'm like, if you want to know what it means to follow me, then you're going to follow a king who is a shepherd king and a servant king. Firstly, what does he mean by a shepherd king? In this passage, we see two great miracles. Again, we don't have time to read them because they're well known, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And there's two miracles of feeding thousands. There's first of all the 5,000 in chapter 14, and then in chapter 15, he feeds another group, about 4,000. And in both of these passages, Matthew is pointing out that this isn't just a great divine picnic, but Jesus is showing us who he is through these miracles. Both times in these passages, we see that the text says that Jesus had compassion on the multitudes. He cared for them, that he led them into the wilderness and they laid, on, they lay, they laid down and they leant and they sat down on fresh grass. It says that he healed many of them. And then he fed them from the mountain where they had gathered. You see, we could easily miss these details, but these details would mean so much to a first century 
Jew who knows that Old Testament because back in Ezekiel 34, it was prophesied that a king would come, a divine king would come as a shepherd who has compassion and cares for his sheep, that heals their injuries, that would lead them to fresh grass and would feed them from the mountaintop. This was the prophecy of the great divine shepherd king who would come, a king who would come as a shepherd to care, to heal and to nurture and to love God's people. That this would not just be any old shepherd, but in Ezekiel 34, it says God himself would come to be the shepherd of his people. See, in these miracles, Jesus is saying, if you want to know what I'm like, I'm like a shepherd. I am the divine shepherd who's come. And if you want to see me outwork my rule and reign, it's going to be in healing you, in caring for you, in feeding you. Jesus' whole rule and reign as shepherd is therefore not to make much of himself, but obviously the point of, his, of, of being a shepherd is to, is to care for the sheep, is to care for you and me. Shepherds, it's been said, as you look at the scriptures, do four things. They, they guard, they guide, they govern, and they gather. First of all, they guard. That Jesus is a shepherd king who's come to guard his people, to defeat our enemies for us, to take our enemies of sin and Satan and to nail them on a cross so we can be free of them. And then in life ourselves, that we, he is with us as a shepherd to lead us, to guide us and to protect us. Shepherds not only guard us against our enemies, but they guide us, don't they? And Jesus has come to shepherd us, to guide us to places where we can feed and where we can prosper, where we can breathe in the fresh air of his life and his love. I don't know where you are right now in your life, but if you're anything like me, so often I need help in guidance. Which way do I go? And Jesus has said, I'm your shepherd. I'm your shepherd king, and I've come to guide you. He's also come to gather us. Shepherds gather, don't they? If you watch a shepherd out in the fields, and I grew up in the, the green rolling hills of the Yorkshire Dales in England, we'd often see shepherds out there with their staff and their dogs gathering the sheep, and particularly lost sheep that seemed to stray away. And it was the job of the shepherd to make sure the flock were okay, but then to go after a sheep that kind of got into trouble. And the shepherd would go after. Later on in chapter 18, Jesus says this himself. He says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. And that's why Jesus came. The Father sent Jesus as the shepherd king to gather us together. And there are times in life when you think someone's wandered off, and maybe you've wandered off. I know I in seasons have wandered off, and we have a king who comes after us who looks out for us, who rescues us from sometimes just the stupid things I decide. And Jesus will wander to the wandering off and bring us back. He gathers us. And then he governs. A shepherd governs his sheep. 
He gets them in line and sometimes he tells them not to do this or do that. And, you know, Tim Keller rightly points out in his book on Jesus as the king, he says, as the shepherd king, describing God's people as sheep isn't a huge compliment. I mean, sheep do stupid stuff and we need a shepherd to govern us, to instruct us. And it's a good thing and it's a beautiful thing that we have a shepherd in life who can actually look at us and say, hey, this is the way to life and this is the way to destruction and you need to turn your back on that and do this. If you want to know what Jesus as king is like, he's not like Herod. He's not the hypocritical Pharisees. He's the shepherd king who's come to love, to guide and govern and gather his sheep. This is the picture of Jesus as he wants us to know him. But secondly, we see he's not only a shepherd king, Jesus wants us to know that he's also a servant king. That he's a king who's not looking out for his own interests, but he lays down his interests for the sake of others. See, this is one of the things which the disciples were most upset with. If you were the disciples at the time and you see that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who's going to deliver us from evil, the one who's going to right all the wrongs in society, then you're going to sit down and you're going to go, okay, let's strategize how this is going to happen. You know, Jesus, what we need to do, we need to march on Jerusalem. We'll probably go with a few horses and some arrows and spears, and we're going to overthrow the, the priests in the temples. We're going to put you in charge as king. And then we're going to go from Jerusalem. Once we've got that, then we're going to take on Rome. And you think this is the strategy that God's kingdom is going to come through and the king is going to outwork his kingdom through power, through, through control, through, through dominance. But Jesus hears all this and refuses to go along with it because he's not come to exert his power but to serve us with his power to the point of laying down his life for us. In verse 21, it says this, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. So I'm going to go to Jerusalem. But then he says to suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. See, Jesus knows that, yes, I'm, I must go to Jerusalem and the kingdom is going to come and I'm bringing my kingdom and I will be exalted king and I will dispense justice throughout the whole world. But the way this is going to happen is completely opposite to the way you think. And particularly opposite to Peter, who's really angry at this. He says it's going to involve serving, suffering, laying down my own interests for the sake of others. It's going to even mean me going to the point of death. Jesus is a servant king. He's a king who reigns by becoming a servant, who lays down his life for his people. This is, again, totally different, isn't it, to the kingship we see of Herod and of the Pharisees who are making much of themselves, who are lording their power over people. But Jesus uses his power not to make much of himself, but actually to lift up others, to rescue, to save. Pete Scazzaro, in his book on leadership, writes this about Jesus. He says, this kind of servant leadership is kind of like power, he says, which is the difference between power over leadership or power under leadership. 
power over versus power under. And he writes this about Jesus. He says, while the world practices a power over strategy, characterized by dominance and win-lose competitiveness, Jesus taught a power under strategy, characterized by humility and sacrificial service. In the world, says Jesus, leaders throw their weight around. But Jesus demonstrated his power, not by force or control, but by choosing to come under us, humbly washing our feet, humbly dying for our sins. He stewarded his power to lift others. As it says in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. See, this is Jesus as our king, a king who is not only our shepherd, but also would do something shepherds wouldn't do, kind of breaks the banks of the metaphor of being a shepherd by saying, yes, I'm a shepherd, but I'm also a servant who's going to die for you. Jesus wants you and I to know that when you think of him as a king, think of a king who is your shepherd and think of a king who is your servant, who lays his life down for you. So in light of this revelation of Jesus as our shepherd king and our servant king, what do we do? How do we respond to this revelation? Do we kind of recoil and go, I don't want that? Or what does Jesus invite us to do? And he invites us to do two things. He says, in view of who I am, I invite you to submit and to follow. Submit and to follow. In chapter 16, verse 21, it says this, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, you know, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. First of all, King Jesus invites us to submit, to deny ourselves and come under his rule. See, when Peter hears of Jesus going to Jerusalem to suffer and die, he's furious. Why? Well, because he has his own agenda that doesn't involve suffering. His own agenda that doesn't involve going to Jerusalem and Jesus dying. Tim Keller writes this, he said, Peter had an agenda and his agenda led from strength to strength and it didn't include suffering. When he sees that Jesus is not working from his agenda, he rebukes him. If your agenda is the end, then Jesus is just the means. You're using him. But if Jesus is the king, you cannot make him a means to your end. You can't come to a king negotiating. You lay your sword at a king's feet and say, command me. If you try to negotiate, if you say instead, I'll obey if, you aren't recognizing him as king. 
Jesus invites us to submit to his agenda for our lives, to deny our own agenda and to submit to his. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, hang on, Gare, how can I ever submit to someone else? We're taught, aren't we, to never submit to anyone. We worship the individual in our society. But on reflection, I notice that in my own heart, I think submitting to a shepherd actually makes sense. Submitting to a shepherd king makes sense. We need a good shepherd. We are not good on our own. We were not created to live life without a shepherd. We need help. We get lost. We need wisdom. We need guidance. We need protection. And this is where Jesus comes into our lives and says, if you submit to me, you're submitting to how you were created to have a good shepherd, guide, gather, govern, feed, and lead, and love you. But submitting to a servant king also makes sense. You see, I agree that if Jesus was inviting me to submit from the throne, I would do it because of power. I, ha I would have to. If Jesus revealed himself on the throne and submitting to him would be simply a matter of power over me. I wouldn't, my heart wouldn't really want to do that. But Jesus invites us to, to submit to him, not as a king on the throne, but as a king on a cross. See, this means that the invitation to submit to him is an invitation to recognize the deep love that he has for us, the sacrifice that he has made for you and for me, for taking all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of the things that we've done wrong in the past. He takes that on himself to die the death that we deserved, that we might have the life that we don't. See, this is the great king who's on a cross and invites us to submit to him. When someone utterly gives themselves for you, how could you not give yourself utterly to them? We submit out of love, out of gratitude, out of trust that here is a God who must love me and care for me. I remember when I, I think one of the great moments in my life when I gave my life to Jesus. As a kid, I gave my life many times. Each of them was significant in a different way. But one of them, when I was singing a song, an old hymn in church, and it was the song, When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross, and it was this truth that clinched it for me, that if this God would do this for me, then I can't wait to give him my life. The words said in the hymn that Isaac Watts wrote so perfectly, it says this, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Jesus invites us to submit to him, to come under his gracious and loving rule of our, of our lives. But Jesus also invites us to follow, and that's different to submit, to follow him. He says, since I am a shepherd king on a cross, you're called to follow me, to step into how my kingdom works, to step into my example. See, submission comes with following, and following is to follow the example of Jesus as our shepherd and our king. He says, you must also deny yourself. As Jesus denied himself for us, you must also pour out your life for others as I have poured out my life for you. 
In other words, he's saying, just as I am a shepherd, I want you to be a shepherd to others. Just as I am a servant, I want you to be a servant to others. I want you not to exercise your power and influence in a power over kind of way, but a power under kind of way. I want you to look around your church, your city, your community, and be shepherds to love, to care, to gather in the lost, to feed, to protect. This is what it means to be a follower of King Jesus, is to step into his mission to be a shepherd and a servant to our city and our community. And ironically, he says, this is a great paradox, Jesus says, because he says in verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. In other words, he's saying that when you follow me, I've got an abundant life for you, but it's going to come through a paradox. It's going to come by emptying out your life for the sake of others is then you will find the life that I have for you. If you want to find happiness and joy and peace and significance and meaning and purpose in your life, it's not going to come by making much of yourself over others. It's going to come through laying your life down for others. I was reading an article recently, and it was in the New York Times, and the magazine was, uh, ran an article called Happiness 101. And it described positive psychology, a branch of psychology that seeks to take a scientific, uh, empirical approach to what makes people happy. And researchers in the field, it says, have found that if you focus on doing and getting things that give you pleasure, it does not lead to happiness, but produces what one researcher has dubbed the hedonic treadmill. You become addicted to pleasure and your need for the pleasure fix keeps growing. You have to do more and more and you're never satisfied, never really happy. And then according to the article, it says, scientific studies have shown that the best way to increase your happiness is actually to do acts of selfless kindness, kindness to pour yourself out for needy people. The article then pointed out that if you are leading an unselfish life of service to other people, this will give you a sense of meaning, of being useful and valuable, of having a life of significance. See, this is how Jesus has wired the world, because he made the world, and this is who he is. We are made in the image of a shepherd king and a servant king. And he says, when you follow me, when you submit to me, you'll experience the shepherd king and the servant king in your life. But you will also step into the mission of being like him, to pour yourself out to shepherd others and to serve others. And he said, when you do that, you think you're losing your life, but you're actually finding it. You're stepping into who you are made to be, made in the image of a shepherd king and a servant king. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So let me ask you a question as we close. How do you see Jesus? How do you see King Jesus? Do you see him like Herod, a king who's just going to use you and abuse you and spoil your life? Do you see him like the Pharisees, full of hypocrisy? Or do you see Jesus as who he truly is, a shepherd king? who's come to love you, guide, guard, protect, and gather his people together, and a servant king who empties himself that he might die the death that you and I deserve and empty his life into us that we don't. Let's pray together. So Jesus, we come to you as the shepherd king 
and the servant king. And we take this time now to do what you invited us to do, which is to submit to you. Because of who you are, your love for us, your care for us, that God would do this for us and be a shepherd and servant king. We submit to you and we follow you. We follow you into our community. We follow you into the world, into our marketplace, into our families, into our neighborhoods, being a people that shepherd and being a people who serve. Lead us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.